This is the next episode of 10 Questions. I am Thinker, and on the other end of the line, I have the uh, well-known, maybe slightly infamous, uh, Bryson Bort. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm curious what I'm infamous for, but that's probably a whole other podcast. Uh, well, just just for the sheer fact that uh, I think a majority of uh, photos of you that exist these days are with that unicorn hoodie on. It's uh, it's definitely uh, definitely a unique look you're sporting. I have not seen anybody doing that same thing. Yeah, well, thank you. I actually have uh, a special one on order. So um, once I once I committed to this last year, I realized that I was going to need multiple looks. So this one was originally a part of building the business unicorn look, which I debuted at Shmoocon. Um So uh, that was with a white linen suit. Yeah, I, 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 I think I think I remember seeing some pictures of that. If I, if I remember correctly. If if you've seen the picture with me and Deviant Alum, where I'm saluting him and he is looking like a Cylon slash uh, Space Force soldier. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yep, that is that is the uh, business unicorn. Um, it also was on full display because I got uh, these golden shoes that had light up LEDs at the bottom. Mm. Um, and so I collaborated with like uh, Ray Redacted and Katie Masuris um, to do a mental health party at ShmooCon. Mm-hmm. Um, so wore that for full party attire. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew it sounded familiar when you explained it and that's, that's indeed where I saw it. So, all right. Well, let's, let, let, let's dive in and uh, I guess to use the overused cliche, peel back the onion layers, right? Um, so, uh, so I, normally I got one direction I go, but I, I guess I'm going to go uh, an entire another direction in this case, just because the date that this podcast is dropping is the 20th anniversary of the 9/11 attacks. Uh, and uh, ha- ha- you know, having been in the media in the past, um, and I and I was in uh, the news media at the time that that happened. You know, I, I know it's uh, I, I know it's one of those things that it's always a fresh a fresh thing in my mind because I, I I remember how it just it just blew up the news cycle no pun intended um, so but you were mentioning to me that um, you were already in the military at the time you were a second lieutenant um, how how was it from uh, from that end you know already even being in the military what was what, what, what was the thoughts going on there whenever that happened? Yeah, so um, I decided in the mid-90s that I was going to go into the Army. Um, and I specifically chose to to go to West Point because I figured I would need a well-rounded education. Um, I actually had a, a full ride to MIT. Um, and I figured if I went to MIT, I'd probably get sent to jail for beating up my roommate or something where it, you know, at West Point, everybody was bigger than me. So there was no danger of that. Um, and I went because I wanted to get back. I wanted to do something to get back to the, the country. I just felt some, some sort of obligation and that, that worked best for me. And the reason I bring that up is that at that time, the entire focus, I mean, this is post-Soviet Union. I used to live in the Soviet Union um, as a kid. I, I moved to the United States in 1990 from the Soviet Union. 
Um, and so I remember the Cold War really well. I lived in Berlin. I lived in Moscow. I remember being on the, the butt of the Cold War. Um, and then post-Soviet Union, everything, you know, the, the bipolar world of United States and the Soviet Union um, fell apart. And in that chaos, that's where we had mostly like issues like Rwanda and then Bosnia. And so I figured that my, my military career was going to be, um, we really thought that we were going to be, um, and what we trained for was uh, Bosnia. Um, mm -hmm. My specific unit's mission at that time um, as a part of three corps out of Fort Hood is we were the counteroffensive if the North Koreans ever moved down into South Korea. And so <laughs> had no idea about the Middle East, hadn't been paying any attention. I mean, I was a tactical junior military officer with just whatever my, you know, what I was told to do in front of me. And I remember that morning, because uh, I was in the motor pool, uh, we were doing vehicle maintenance. And uh, one of the soldiers came out, grabbed me, he's like, sir, you need to come see this. And I walked into the battalion maintenance officer's office just as the second plane hit the building. <laughs> and we're all just sitting there looking at each other. And I remember I just looked at everybody. I was like, oh, fuck, we're going to war. And yeah. we were just confused. We're like, who did this? Where, <laughs> who, who are we about to go to war with? And um, there was just this sense of anger and confusion. Um, and then, of course, it came out um, about Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. Uh, but we didn't know any of those people or any of that at that time. Um, and I actually, um, my unit deployed to the Middle East three weeks later. Um, and, I mean, all we had were um, forest-covered BDUs. So we're, we're dressed out in green. All we have is green. Um, <laughs> And all of our vehicles were green. Um, just to give you an idea of going back to that Cold War perspective, the Humvees didn't even have armor. The, the doors were made of canvas. Like you could zip down the windows. Like mm -hmm. there was a zipper. You would just zip down the plastic to the window because they were built for, if you were in a Humvee, you were behind the front and you, were, you didn't need that level of armor, right. which of course does not work in the kind of environment we suddenly found ourselves in. Um, and so just like that kind of where everybody was caught surprised and flat-footed. And I remember, I mean, we didn't understand anything. We didn't get any cultural briefing. We didn't get anything. We just sort of showed up. And I remember as we um, convoyed away um, from the airport after landing. Um, so we're going to one of our, our rally points and I, I'll never forget this. Like, if you could just imagine this whole convoy of us soldiers going and this BMW coming down the highway the other way, stops, pulls over into the median and gets out and starts throwing trash at us. <laughs> We're just kind of like, one, like, what's going on there? And two, are you fucking crazy? Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> who, who starts just throwing trash at an armed convoy? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, and that was just the beginning. Wow. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's always amazing to, uh, to uh, catch new perspectives on that. Um, you know, it, I, I know on my end, it's, it was something that I was watching it, and probably part of the reason because I was watching it happen on TV and not actually, oh, you know, see, you know actually on the ground whenever it happened. Um, 
that probably played into my perception of this just doesn't seem real. This doesn't seem like it's happening. And um, yeah, it, it's, you know, and, it, you know, and I know my, you know, my focus was, Oh, now we're talking about this all day, every day in the newscasts. We are feeding the 24 seven news beast. Um, oh yeah. That, I mean, that was really the, the, I mean, the first Persian Gulf war was the rise of CNN mm-hmm. uh, with that. And then the, the, the after 9-11 is when all of them came on like that and I don't think we've ever gone back no no we, we absolutely haven't um you know I, I uh it besides 9-11 the other the other uh news event that I remember that that ended up happening and on was uh was uh the uh shuttle Columbia breaking up on re-entry because mm-hmm. um, uh it is you know what you know, one you know being in Texas it had a it had a couple of astronauts that were from Texas uh, on that mission, um, and uh, you know not to mention it also broke up over Texas, um, <laughs> and it's funny too. I remember I was uh, I, I was working uh, the morning show at that time, which meant I spent overnight shifts in the newsroom, and uh, so it was Saturday, and on my weekends I just didn't touch the news. I turned on the TV, I turned on some entertainment and I never, I, I never checked to see what was going on. So I didn't know about this until like, Oh, mid afternoon of the day that that happened. It was on a Saturday. And then, um, on Monday morning after I finished my shift and working the morning shows, um, uh, whenever the news director came in, he said, why didn't you come and help on Saturday? And I literally told him, I said, nobody ever paged me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 24 seven news cycles. Can't live with them. Can't live without them these days. Right. Well, particularly relevant considering the uh, campaigns of disinformation that now runs so rampant. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. shoot, how, how many, uh, how many press conferences did they have from the White House prior to the 2020 pandemic? Maybe 20, 25 of them. And then they end up having one a day and Trump was actually on it every single day. (laughs) Oh, I was, I wasn't even referring to that. Just Um, the, the, the structure of, of information sharing, both through the rise of social media um, social media fighting established journalism um, since we we now have peer and uh, community driven news sources um, we've lost a lot of analysis and then of course um, the uh, I mean just the the then the way that the multiple groups have turned all those things for various purposes curation is one is one thing about the world that existed that's existed as such a good thing, and yeah, you're right. I mean, we basically lost curation not just of news but of everything, and it's funny now how curation is a uh, is just a service that gets sold. <laughs> well, so tying tying it back into the 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 military, um, mm-hmm. and this is this has come out uh, because like uh, the Steel Report, right, or mm-hmm. other other times that what we would call raw data has been leaked or shared. Um, and what you learn in the military about intelligence is you, you don't look and take raw intelligence at face value, 
right? You look at the finished intelligence product. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a reason for that. It, there's a reason we have analysts. And I'm drawing this, this metaphor back to, or this, this corollary back to what we saw with, with the news. That, that's what journalists were. Journalists were essentially taking raw data and providing a analysis and curating it to a point that it had context and made sense. Because data without context and the quality of that data, it, there's, there's so much more to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and and even talking about journalists, it makes me think of uh, on-air uh, weather forecasters. They are probably the one of the last uh, one of the last great group of curators that uh, that exist from the original structure of things. Really, <laughs> you, you, you you can't take you can't take raw data about weather forecasts and truly and truly get it, truly understand it. You know, you have you have to have somebody that knows what they're looking at and being able to being able to shape. Okay, this model saying this, this model saying this. You got this factor, that factor, and then you know, come up with. Uh, you know, it, it's it's based off science, but uh, but what they do is based off science. It's still an art, though. So. Well, I think that's quite ironic that the the last bastion of of truth in media. You know, you know, I, I, and uh, I actually spent a number of years working with uh, with uh, one of those weather guys that's probably overly passionate about his craft. But damn it, I learned a lot from the guy. I, I can tell you that. So, all right. Well, after that tangent, <laughs> um, actually, uh, actually uh, heard you say something that caught caught my attention caught my interest uh um you said you lived in the soviet union um so so uh you know i haven't done any digging for publicly available information um is is uh is, is that orig originally home or uh was that was that uh, just a uh, period of life uh so uh yeah my my father was in the army and uh was the deputy defense attache um in moscow at that time um he he was military intelligence so i uh, i grew up in germany in the soviet union and then uh, moved here um in 1990 um yeah it's, it sounds like a cooler story than it is probably the the the, the cool parts that i could share are uh, the KGB really does follow you around. Um, so uh, as a kid, it was safe for me to run around a large capital city because there was always two guys in trench coats 30 feet behind. Um, uh, the other thing that's funny is whenever my mother would get lost, uh, she would just follow the black cars because eventually the black cars would come back to their motor pool near the American embassy, and that's how we got home. So we would follow the KGB to get back home. Hey, you know, whatever works. Right? <laughs> uh, no, it, it's, it, it caught my attention because I, because uh, I've always been uh, fascinated with uh, World War II, the Cold War, um, you know, European history, uh, you know, history of Russia and the Soviet Union. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, per, you know, particular interest points of mine. Um, okay, so uh, moving on to question number three right here. What what was it that actually even got you doing anything uh, in technology to begin with? Oh, I I mean I I think for a lot of folks it's just 
you have a natural proclivity for it. Um, as a kid, I was that kid that took everything apart that I could get my hands on. Um, and my parents would always yell at me. Um, ah, you broke it. I'm like, it's not broken. Look here, see, it works. Um, I remember when we got our first personal computer, um, cause it was right after we moved back from the Soviet union. Um, and we paid like $3,000 for a 386 DX 33. Um, and if you remember, uh, that was back when Bill Gates said that, you know, and a computer doesn't need 640 kilobytes of memory. Um, and damn it, if I wasn't going to ring every optimization out of those 640 kilobytes that I could. Um, so I spent tons of time just <laughs> on my own, just optimizing, uh, batch files for fun. Um, and uh, that's when I first started getting into computer games. And so I would, I mean, whatever you could do to hack those, that was just fun because I liked changing the game to, to make it the way I wanted it to. Um, then I discovered bulletin board systems. Um, so then I get on the BBSs and play different games and meet different folks and get involved with all of that. Um, so yeah, it was just one of those things. Like once I saw my, you know, my first, bit of technology for the first time I just went on that path and then I started you know continuing to get these little bit of opportunities as I went um, probably the best thing that ever happened for me in programming was in high school uh, when I got my first graphing calculator mm -hmm. um, I would didn't matter what class I was in I would be programming games on that calculator um, the one I'm most proud of is I made um, Street Fighter so okay. you actually had like a little ASCII character and you'd fight the computer who had a very basic AI ability to fight because, you know, it was a single threaded processor. There was only so much I could do with it. Right. Um, but I, I learned so much from just constantly programming on that thing. Um, wow. So. I, I'd say I, I didn't even realize that that is that that was uh, how far you could actually take the programming. Oh yeah. I made all sorts of games. Um, can make like Tetris. Um, I really enjoyed making a lot of um, really complex RPGs. Um, that's when I started getting into bit art because um, I wasn't a very good artist back then. But if you just have patience, you know what you can do bit by bit can turn out pretty well. Um, so that's I'd say that's where I became a um, a good programmer. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, so uh, you talk about doing programming. What was what, what was probably the, uh, the first um, established programming language that you really dipped into then? Um, well, whatever, whatever was on that calculator. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was called. <laughs> um, I think in school we used Turbo Pascal. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I can remember as a kid, though, on Apple IIe, um, uh, Turtle uh, Basic, like with the, remember it had like the little turtle um and i took a robotics class one summer and i think that was also in basic okay yeah i i, I absolutely remember uh doing uh basic in school myself um that's uh that, that was also the same year i did something as crazy as read the dos manual for fun yeah i used to do that kind of stuff yeah yeah, and, and you know, and basic led to that. Led to led to eventually finding out um, how uh, how much uh, people that were uh, building and maintaining computers were just just had a racket. And they were 
they were making bank for very little work. <laughs> Man, yeah, no, it, it, yeah, ninety dollars for a couple of for, for fixing a couple of batch files. That's that was uh, that, that 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 was nuts back at, back at that time. Ninety dollars, not so nuts now, but. <laughs> I did. I wasn't even aware of the money side of it, and I mean, I didn't did I didn't care. I just yeah. It was just what I did for fun. Well, it is, and uh, I, I didn't professionally get into get into anything technology until uh, how old was I? Oh, I was in my late twenties by that point. You know, it, yeah, t- tech for me was always, it was always something to mess around with. I mean, I'd get a, I'd get a old electronics even from a place where my dad used to work. And, uh, and uh, one of them was this real old school projector that I'd taken apart and started to take it apart piece by piece. And I was, I was a kid, I was playing around with it. So I plugged it in, turned the light off and everything, still playing around with it. Oh wait, wait no, no. We don't want to get electrocuted here. <laughs> Doing stuff like that. Yep, I've electrocuted myself several times. I have destroyed many boards with bad soldering. Yeah, I. Uh, ooh, yeah. The probably the uh, the first laptop I bought. I started. Um, I started burning out um, the. Uh, conversion cube on the ac converter and after getting it keep on getting those replaced i finally realized wait a minute it's not the cord you know one of the first lesson in troubleshooting right and um i tried to uh i, I tried to uh resolder the because on the in the laptop i had is a old dell and the power module where it plugged in was soldered onto the motherboard uh, i tried to resolder that myself and it wasn't very good uh, very good at soldering to begin with um but i had somebody that was lots better at it across the hall for me at the job i had at the time and helped me on it and it still died a horrible death anyway Man. um okay so so uh, we talked about you know what you know what how you started uh doing technology in the first place what got into information security uh um there's <laughs> kind of a funny several stories there um so at at west point the cadets uh you know self-organize this is also for you know part of leadership training is you you run things and um in 1998-99 when i was a junior um the the corps of cadets uh they about halfway through the year um they created the position of brigade information systems officer and so that was the basically the the cadet in charge of all the cadets computer systems and they interfaced with the military for support blah 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 and um I've always described myself as kind of a black sheep of West Point. Um, I I enjoyed being away from there as much as possible, and mm-hmm. I did lots of activities to do that. <laughs> um, and uh, I did not get along with my tactical officer my junior year. And so you, you're supposed to put it right in, like, what 
what do you want to do next year as your as a senior for your leadership positions? And I just wrote out of company, out of company, out of company. Basically, I just went out of this. You know, I don't want to be with him anymore. I just want to like any anything that gets me out of here, I'm good with. Um, and uh, you don't get a lot of time off of the summers because you do training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- so I think I had like a week off and two days before I was supposed to report back uh, for uh, the start of the academic year, um, I got a phone call on my house and I was just like, hello. And it was the brigade tactical officer. So the, the, um, the guy who helped run the brigade staff. Mm-hmm. And he's just, first of all, he chewed me out for just say for not um, calling him sir or something. I'm like, you didn't even identify yourself, asshole. Like you called my home phone. Like what the fuck? What? Clearly we're off to a good start here. And he's like, I've got great news. Um, you're going to be the new, you're going to be the brigade information systems officer. And I'm not making this up. I actually said, do I have to be? That's when I realized when you're given such a great honor, the, the answer is a, a, a clear yes. Like you don't, you don't say no. <laughs> so I got chewed out some more. Uh, but I was like, okay, all right. So my vacation's being cut short and I'm going to be with all of the, um, kids at the top who, uh, take this stuff really seriously. <sighs> so I was, I was in charge of the information security, um, for the core, um, interfacing with the, um, military support for that. Um, and I had just completed a tour, um, with as an armored platoon leader mm-hmm. and tanks my friends are the most badass things on the planet they are just awesome you know what fuck this computer stuff tanks are awesome go that way go really fast anything that you see you don't like you blow it up that's it you don't have to think you don't have to do anything it's really simple and so i wanted to um i was like i'm going armor um and my battalion commander was uh, colonel abrams Mm-hmm. That name should sound familiar. It does. Um, yeah, he was the grandson of General Abrams, who the tank's named after. And the colonel um, in charge of the Signal Corps branch, which at that time was all that you had for computers, he grabs me. He's like, "So, Bryson, what are you? What are you going to branch?" And I was like, "Well, sir, I'm going. I'm going armor. That was just awesome." He's like, "Yeah, but if you thought about the Signal Corps," and I'm like, "Nope, no, I haven't. Not at all. I don't want to do nerd stuff." Uh, I want to blow shit up. <laughs> and he's like, but think about it. This is like 1999. You know, you can see the dot com boom happening. He's like, yeah, but like after tanks, like how employable are you going to be? And I was like, uh, I guess not very. I, I, I guess that doesn't translate to the civilian world. He's like, you really should go Signal Corps. And I was like, I, I, I really should go Signal Corps. Uh, so that's, that's from that in is in, because I was in that position, I was pretty much forced to go signal. Um, and so, I mean, what you do in signal core is you run around, um, especially after nine 11, Sandy places, trying not to get shot and, um, setting up all the communications. So satellites, um, cellular, um, wired, um, although, sorry, our stuff wasn't really wired. It was, um, RF. Um, we had special RF that you would set up so you could have links so that you couldn't cut those and then you would have local wired uh, connections. Um, and then, of course, what passed for information security back then, which mm-hmm. was just pretty much running around with gold disks every time 
something came out. Um, and yeah, that's how I really got into it as a career. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so sometimes, sometimes uh, you stumble into things like that. Or, you know, sometimes some kernel grabs you and makes you do it. <laughs> so, uh, so from, from all your uh, military stories, it sounds like, it, it, it sounds like uh, military was a, was a, a great idea in theory, but, uh, may, but maybe did you, did, did you uh, uh, not enjoy it as much? And that, is that what I'm picking up on? Oh, no, I had a great time. Um, okay. I, I learned that rank doesn't matter because um, I just did whatever I wanted and I was right. So all of my senior officers would just kind of come over and be like, hey, uh, like, Lieutenant, what are you, uh, what's going on here? And I'd be like, all right, sir. Is there anything I need? And I'd be like, yes, go do that. And they would go away because they got to take credit for everything I did. So like, I did whatever I wanted all the time. And it was the right stuff. So everybody just let me, left me alone. Um, it was great. I loved it. Okay. Okay. So, 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 so more like, uh, more like you just happened to be sharing the, the stories, uh, with me of, um, some of the things that kind of made you sour on people and not the military itself. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, let's, let's tackle that one real quickly. First of all, there are assholes everywhere on the planet. They are just about equally distributed, in fact. And uh, the, the, there are three kinds of people in this world. Asses, workhorses, racehorses. And the distribution is 10, 80, 10. Never changes anywhere you go. The thing about the military is it's just a large system. There are other large systems. And they have, you know, some cultural peccadillos. But they're just large systems. And large systems are always going to be large systems. And what a large system does, it's the same thing with government. Government's just a large system. Mm -hmm. The purpose of a large system is consistency. How do I get this many people from the variety of intellect, capability, whatever it is, to consistently deliver something as much as possible? And in a large system, I do that by restricting your freedom as much as possible so that if you're a fucking moron, you're still going to be able to produce an appropriate left-right result. Yeah. The problem is, if you're really smart, Ugh, you know, you don't need your brain. And that's really frustrating, which is why you look at small companies. Small companies have really brilliant folks, but you can't scale brilliance to a certain point. So I have this theory. Everybody has a number. That number is the amount of, you know, essentially how far you can get with that scale. It's how many folks that you can influence. So whatever your particular brilliance, genius, capability, whatever that is, that's the amount that it can expand to before it doesn't matter anymore. It breaks down, mm -hmm. right? Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I, I totally buy into that. That, that makes perfect sense. Um, heck, uh, you know, I, whenever I was uh, getting done with high school, I, I uh, was seriously looking at the military myself just from a standpoint of, it's a system, there's procedures, you know, that you don't have to do any second guessing of yourself, usually, you know, obviously, there's always a chance you run into bad orders, sometimes, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, you know, everything is a system, exactly like and, what you're saying. 
And the thing particularly special about the military is the opportunity, uh, the, what you get at such a young age, what you're exposed to, it, it, you do not get any, anywhere else in the civilian world. Um, that's, that's pretty rare. I, it's, I have always thought that probably one of the, one of the uh, smartest things that the country of Israel has done is make mandatory uh, military service whenever they graduate high school. You know, well, they have a <laughs> they have a particular incentive for that program. Oh, true, true, of course. But it, but whenever you look just just in general at at how many how many people with some kind of level of awesomeness have have uh, come out of Israel because of something that they learned because of some kind of because of some kind of uh, intrinsic. Um, work ethic, for the lack of a better phrase, that they got during those two years, you know, and uh, yeah, you don't uh, you don't see a lot like that in other countries that don't have a requirement uh, like that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely not something that's enforceable in a country the size of the U.S. Though <laughs> that that just would never work. Well, we'll see what happens post-pandemic if unemployment stays what it is. True, true, true. Yeah, a lot of people are already calling for the expansion of the Peace Corps and AmeriCorps and stuff like that. So we'll yep. see what happens there. Um, okay, moving on to uh, question number five. This is where we dive off the deep end. Um, what was your favorite band in high school? Um, it really is a toss up. Uh, so I remember I first discovered, uh, like, so I grew up on the, the Rolling Stones. My dad had all these cassette tapes and I would just play those nonstop. So I, I, I grew up on the Stones, but the first time that music like really like spoke to me on my own, um, it was 1991. And uh, I, was a, I was a young Boy Scout, and I remember coming back from a camping trip in uh, the Scoutmaster's van, and one of the kids left uh, this black cassette tape on the, maybe it was 92, um, floor of the van, and it was Metallica's Black Album. And I went home, and I put it in my boombox, and I was like this, and I was like, ah, I don't want to listen to this. And then... It was funny. It, like, marinated in my brain for three months, and then I just all of a sudden, like, I need to go back and listen to that. I don't, I don't know why. It was like compelled to do it. And then I was just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, uh, uh, it's funny because I, I absolutely hate that album now. But because um, I, I mean, I love their older stuff. I mean, Kill Them All, Ride the Lightning, uh, Justice for All, Master of Puppets, particularly in Justice for All. Um, I love that album. Um, and then I do like, I do like some of their, uh, uh, I love de I like Death Magnetic, um, but then the other one was um, uh, was Megadeth. Dave Mustaine, who okay. was of course briefly a part of Metallica, um, and uh, Rust in Peace and Countdown for Extinction is just one of the greatest metal band uh, metal albums of all time. Um, that's such a good album. Um, although he was not as prolific in producing as much wonderful stuff as Metallica, because Euthanasia and then it. Um, yeah. I don't really like anything else. Um, so yeah, those were my, my high school bands. 
Okay. Okay. Man, good. Good choices right there. Good choices. Definitely. Uh, definitely stuff I still have in my playlist to this day. So, um, okay. Are you uh, more of a more of an avid reader, or do you enjoy movies and television more? <laughs> um, it's, I used to be an avid reader, quite the avid reader. I would read multiple books nonstop all the time. Um, and it would frustrate me because I would keep telling myself one more chapter, one more chapter, and then it'd be 3 a.m. Um, and so uh, books are addictive for me. Um, and since then, it's really been like the last two years. Um, I've, I've now founded three companies. Um, I'm running them. I'm an advisor to two think tanks. I'm an advisor to two government agencies, um, all the things I'm doing. And by the end of the day, I just can't, I can't use my brain anymore. Um, and so I've really just taken to sitting on my couch, staring at nothing or putting on Netflix. So there's something running in the background while I drink a scotch. Okay. I, and that's, I really love to read. I just don't have the brain power to actually do it right now. Who's, uh, uh, who's one of your favorite authors? My favorite author is Ernest Hemingway. Okay. I, um, I think Ernest Hemingway is um, the genius of writing like a first grader and being able to convey everything he does. I think that that is just amazing. Okay, um, so if if you like written material written material that much, then that means that you may likely have uh, have a uh, favorite poet. Favorite poet. Uh, um, who would be my favorite poet? Um, I'd say right now I'm particularly fond of Rumi. Um, more modern. Um, I was like, I need to go look on my bookshelf right now. I'll be like that one. Um, <laughs> T.S. Eliot's good. Um, he also helped advance the craft, so I appreciate that too. Whenever, whenever you do poetry, is it more traditional poetry, or do you uh, dip into like any? Uh, um, oh, no. You know what? I'm going to take that back. E.E. E. Cummings. I like E.E. E. E. Cummings okay. better. Okay. Sorry. Uh, uh, so, what I was asking, I was like, do you uh, stay with more traditional forms or do you uh, dip into something like uh, like epics? Um, well, I, I mean, when I was in middle school, I was really into Roman and Greek culture, so I used to read a lot of that back then. Um, I don't think I've really read anything like that since, though. Now, and I—I I know my exposure it sounds like about the same as yours, but I—I uh, I know the one that I really uh, latched on to was my junior year of high school. Whenever we uh, went over Beowulf. Yep, that uh, read Beowulf. Um, Beowulf is definitely. Uh, I, I don't I don't read as much these days, but whenever whenever I do, that's actually one of the ones I like to go back. To. 
I, I have the beginning intro of uh, Canterbury Tales memorized in Old English. Uh, I remember uh, hearing that recited by James Joyce. That's impressive. One that apple of the Shurr Sutta, the Dracht of March that passed into the Ruta, and bothered every vein and switched the core, of which there too engendered is the floor. Very good. There's, there's, yeah, random skill. Hey, random skills can be fun. Random skills can definitely be fun. Well, speaking of random skills and random question numbers being question number seven, um, what would you say is probably uh, one of your more buried random skills that uh, not many people would know about? Um, besides random memorization in Old English? Um, uh, so, uh, there, I mean, there are a few people who know about this because it's um, there's actually some posts and video of it from when I was um, juggling with Egypt at Wild West Hackfest. Uh, but uh, when I was in college, um, I was an amateur clown. So I used to, I had a, a whole custom um, clown costume that I would go and I would uh, entertain children in the hospital um, and do birthday parties. And I didn't, I just did it like as a volunteer. Nobody asked me to do it. There was no program for it. I just on my own, like put it together and then went and pitched it and just started doing it. Cause I thought it was fun. Um, and, uh, that really grew out of, uh, from high school. I was, uh, I had learned to juggle. Um, so I'm a pretty good juggler. Um, and so uh, a lot of people tend to find it really funny. Although I guess now that I dress up as a unicorn, perhaps it's a little easier to understand that. <laughs> um, but that, I mean, my nickname is Grim. So um, that I used to be a clown for kids and that I can juggle. Uh, they tend to find that pretty uh, surprising. <laughs> okay. I, I know I mentioned this before we dug into it, um, but I, I've got to ask, what, what was the source of, the unicorn to begin with where, where where did that take shape yeah i get that question a lot um so at at grim every year for defcon uh we would do uh, a t-shirt contest and we would come up with these really cool designs for for defcon um because that was really our community um and um one year i came up with the idea of putting the grim reaper which was our logo with a unicorn I, I had, I don't know, there was nothing about unicorns prior to that. And it just, I thought the two of them, the juxtaposition was really funny. Um, and we put it together. And uh, so we have, uh, we use a bunch of college students to do the graphic arts. Um, so we hire them and we pay them. And because um, I, I really am big into graphic design. Um, so I'll come up with ideas and some of other folks do and we work with them. And there's some really talented artists that we help support with that. And uh, the artist just nailed it on the first go. And I was just like blown away because I didn't really have much of a picture in my head so much as I had the idea sounded great. And when she came back with it, I was just, wow, I think we're onto something here. This looks really amazing. Um, and uh, we brought a bunch of t-shirts and swag to Black Hat. And within a day, we were completely out. Wow. So I think... I don't remember how many t-shirts we brought, but I think we had over 3000 stickers and black hat was like 30,000 people that year. So we're like, wow, 10% of black hat just interacted with this. Huh? Um, and so we, we, and people started coming to us, but like, can we, can we, are these for sale? Can we buy them? And we're like, well, 
I mean, we're not in the t-shirt business. I don't want to try to make money off of t-shirts and stickers. Uh, that's not, not what we're trying to do, but um, if people really want this, and I mean, we can't afford that many of them. Um, I mean, we're a small consultancy. Uh, what if we can try to do some good with this? And so we uh, went and partnered with uh, Johnny Long at IHAC Charities. And we're like, hey man, like you, you want this design to put it on t-shirts to, to try to raise money? Because that seems to be, people seem to be asking for it. Um, and he did. And so we've raised a lot of money for them to help with them with the design. And then it was a few months after that uh, that we spun Scythe out of Grimm. So that's now what I do full time is Scythe. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were like, wow, that unicorn thing really took off. Like, and I was like, yeah, the Grimm design. And we're like, yeah, well, okay, There's a, the Grimm is in it. So what if we remove the Grimm and then it's just the unicorn? Aha! <laughs> And so uh, that was where this design was created, um, was coming up with a scythe-specific unicorn design, and we've uh, taken and run with that. Um, so Grim sticks with the the Reaper, and we're all unicorn. Okay, okay. That's hey, that, that that's that's a good source story right there. Um, I mean, it's it, it's it, it's it's imagery that is that that is a uh, unique. It's a it, it's. Um, you know, it's, I mean, heck, you're having fun with it, but still from a marketing standpoint, my gosh, I mean, that's, that's, that's a good play. I, you know, this is, you can't argue with that. Yeah. Um, certainly I, I hope that everybody sees how much fun I have with it. Um, so it's, it's, it's amusing to me. Um, I like how folks, um, can naturally, will naturally just like come up to me. Cause first of all, I mean like, oh, white guys look the same. So I just blend into the crowd and they're like, well, yeah, but that guy's got a horn on his head. So it's, that's gotta be Bryson. And so I, I, I really like how it, uh, it's a conversation fo- piece for, cause I know, you know, I, I get it. Like I'm very well known. Um, I give lots of talks. I push a lot of different ideas. Um, I fairly smart. So it's intimidating to, to come up to be somebody that you saw on YouTube or saw speak on stage or, you know, as a CEO and a founder. And that's scary. And I love that it lowers that barrier where folks are just like, Oh, they're unicorn. Like, Hey man, da da da. Like they just want to come and talk. And I love talking to folks and I, I benefit from that because that's how I learn about different things and their perspectives. Cause I'm always asking, Hey, what do you think about this or that? And I learn. Um, so I, I really appreciate that it helps make it more accessible for folks to um, just start a conversation with another human being. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, and hey, I, I applaud you for that because not many people take it from that approach. It's, uh, you know, ma- ma- making things simpler for people, whether you're talk- no matter what you're talking about is always a, a good thing. So. Yeah. So there's on that, there's a uh, B-sides a few months ago. Um, I was out at a, a food truck and I was wearing the unicorn and the guy in front of me is like, Hey, you're Bryson. Right. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I, I saw you speak. And I'm like, that really doesn't narrow it down. Like where, when? Oh, okay. So, um, cool. I was like, what did I talk about? And he kind of like does a blank face and he's like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, I think that was a talk I gave on adversarial emulation. He's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And he's like, yeah, you know what? To be honest, you were just the most entertaining speaker I have ever seen. I had so much fun. I don't remember anything you said, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, 
Huh. It's like a backhanded compliment. I don't know how to take I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite way around. I, I, uh, I will forget everything that was ever said if, I, if I'm just bored coming out of uh, some kind of a talk. So, yeah, that's, man, <laughs> I didn't hear a thing you said, but I, you're a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much it. <laughs> He's like, I had so much fun. It was the best hour of any conference I've ever been to. I just don't remember what you said. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, okay. This, moving on to question number nine. Um, what would you say would be the ultimate breakfast food? And, and and bacon is is ruled out because bacon is a common answer. All right. Um, so two answers. Uh, first of all, so I, I cook a lot. I don't know if you've you've seen um, the the I created the hashtag Hackers Kitchen um, that actually came out of a collaboration with uh, Sophia from B Sides Nova. Um, we have been trying to produce a, a show for a while, um, but I just post what I make all the time because I just love to cook. Um, and so whenever I go out for any meal, I always will order something that I wouldn't, that's too much of a pain in the butt to make at home. Mm -hmm. And so I always order eggs Benedict because to get the eggs that way, to make the sauce, it's just, it, I, I've done it before. It, it's a lot of effort versus me saying, can I have that? And it shows up, which is no effort. Um, so that to me is the ultimate breakfast food when I'm out because it's just not something I would make at home. Um, at home. On Sundays, um, I would submit, not so humbly, I make the world's greatest pancakes. I have a special ingredient for it. Um, and uh, the secret ingredient is not butterscotch chips, but that is part of the pancakes. Um, but they are the fluffiest, most amazing pancakes ever. Okay, okay. I, 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 I would dare say I would want to try one sometime because I do have in my mind the best pancake that I've ever had. And I'd love to see how it, how it, how it compares. How it matches up. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, talk, talking about eggs Benedict. So, so you said you've made it before. How hard is the hollandaise sauce to get it exactly right? It, it's just uh, low temperature and attention to detail. Because you can't, you don't want to cook the egg through. That's what keeps it like a sauce. Mm -hmm. uh, I, this, the, the one time I tried to actually order an Eggs Benedict somewhere, the hollandaise sauce was all broken up. And, and I was just like, this is horrible. And I went there on recommendation from, uh, from somebody that normally likes to have Eggs Benedict and knows what, go, knows how, what a good hollandaise sauce is like. So it's i mean it's just it's one of those things that requires time and attention that's okay. it okay. it's not hard you just have to sit there and keep stirring it keep it at a low temperature with a double boil hey patience so, something else that's at a uh, low quantity in the world besides uh, curation yeah <laughs> okay um all right so moving on to question number 10 um my uh, my standard wrap-up question here is what is both the best advice and the worst advice that you've ever received? Hmm. Worst advice. <clears throat> it's 
tell me if this counts, but every VC who said no to me, I want to live and their, their rejection fuels me. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's all about perspective, you know, if, for your perspective. I mean, that, that may make sense. Um, I don't, I don't know what the worst advice is. I don't, I mean, I, I, the only thing I could think of is when I first started Grimm, um, my uncle, who's an accountant, um, uh, constantly criticized the logo. He was just like, oh, that nobody, nobody would do business with a company with a logo like that. It's so, it's so comic book. It's so ridiculous. Uh, and he would just like, every time we would have dinner, he would go off about it. Um, so he, he wanted me to change it. That was the advice he kept giving me. Um, okay. Best advice? Um, I'd say the best advice I was ever given was the encouragement to start a company to begin with. Okay. Um, it's something that had kind of been in my mind for a few years, but it was always like, yeah, it's risky. I don't know. Not now, maybe at some point. And they put that bug in my ear. Just like, I should go do that. Okay. Yeah. I, Hey, you know, and I, I can fully appreciate uh, somebody that dives in head first. Cause Dang it! I I know what it takes to do it, and I know I I know that uh I know how to do it, but I'm just not the person to do it though. <laughs> you know, I I've I've actually tried to you know I'm not about trying to do anything big in the past, but I tried to start some you know small business to do income supplementation and stuff like that, and man, mm -hmm. I just I, I know what all would go into it, but I fell flat on my face anyway. <laughs> So uh, nobody, nobody knows everything about it. So I just, I just gave this talk at DerpCon last week on how to start your own company. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the beginning part is, you know, you know, like what are the qualities for this, how to ideation and how to go through that. Um, and then we talk about if you're going to raise or not raise and how to do that. But the concluding slide that I have is, I mean, what my experience is, no matter how prepared you think you are, how many advisors or how much whatever, every month something randomly existential happens. <laughs> God, that's a thing? Who knew that was a thing? And you, you solve it or you don't solve it. And then you go on to the next one and then next one. And it just ke it keeps happening. And it's, you just survive long enough that those kind of, you know, meteor strikes just stop happening. Mm -hmm. That's it. Okay. okay. There's, nobody knows what the hell they're doing. It's not special sauce. It's just survival. It's survival. It's not special okay. sauce. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, that is the end of 10 questions. Um, since, uh, since the uh, drop date is, oh, a little less than a year and a half away from the record date, I won't ask you if you have anything to plug because goodness knows whatever you're plugging at this, uh, at this point, by the time people are listening to this, you may not know about yet, but any, anything final you want to add in though? Uh, I mean, I, I hope so. this now I feel like I'm putting this into one of those time capsules. <laughs> oh, Scythe, that was a thing for a brief period of time. How quaint. <laughs> uh, I hope that's still going. Um, and I look forward to my flying cars. You know what? Back to the future promised me a flying car by now. <laughs> All right.
hey, if, if flying cars would be uh, it would be fun. I I would love to have them too. All right. Well, Bryson, thank you very much. I have uh, enjoyed this. I appreciated the conversation. And uh, hey, I look forward to uh, next time we get to talk. Yeah, thanks, man.